What does it mean to be in the world but not of the world? What it, well, it means dress in a certain way, uh, take in only certain types of media, only associate with certain types of people. We had lots of rules about what to do, what not to do in our effort to not be worldly. And some of those rules came from Scripture. Some of them didn't. Regardless, there was and still is to this day a very significant subset of Christianity that is very concerned about not being worldly. Like that is a very common theme in those circles and uh, groups. On the other hand, there are other circles and groups within Christianity for whom the question of worldliness isn't even remotely on the radar. They've never paused and asked the question, is there any substantial difference between my life and my home and my unbelieving neighbor's life and home? They haven't asked the question, am I more like Jesus or am I more like the world? As we examine ourselves and as we examine our own lives, these are important questions that we should ask. Jesus says decisively in verse 19 that his disciples are not of this world. Thank you, dear. He says we're not of this world. Therefore, we should examine ourselves. So as it turns out, the churches of my childhood weren't nuts. I think they had some problems in execution. But we shouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. We need to be cautious not to compromise with the world. But how do we do that? What should that effort to not compromise with the world, what should that look like? Well, let me pose three questions that will guide our conversation today. First of all, why would a Christian compromise in the world? What impulse, what urge, what would cause a Christian to compromise with the world? Second, what does it even mean to compromise with the world? And then third, how can we avoid compromise with the world? So let's start with that first question. Why would a Christian compromise with the world? What would urge them to do that? Well, let's see what Jesus says, verses 18 through 21 in our text. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So Jesus, again, in this conversation, knows that within a matter of hours, he's going to be beaten, shamed, crucified, and killed by people that don't believe his message. In fact, they reject his message. And Jesus is warning that his disciples will experience the same thing. Church history reports to us that of these 11 men that are sitting here in this room, 10 of them will be killed for following Jesus. What happened to the 11th? They boiled him in oil and it didn't work. Persecution for following Jesus was a very real physical threat for the first Christians in those early centuries. But it still is today. In many Islamic and totalitarian countries, it is illegal to openly profess Christ. Just this weekend at our presbytery meeting, we had a brother who joined our presbytery from the Presbyterian Church of Pakistan. 
And as we met with him in committee, he told us that for a pastor to baptize someone in Pakistan in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what I just did is a capital offense in Pakistan. A pastor will be put to death for doing that today in 2024. So what Jesus said happened in the first century, and it's still happening in the 21st century. If you're curious to know more about persecution around the world, I commend a website to you, opendoors.org. They do a really good job of drawing attention to places where it is hardest to be a Christian. Places like North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Eritrea, Yemen, and other places throughout the world where it is most dangerous to be a Christian. Glauber Becker, a good friend of our church, is now living in Colombia. He was texting with me this week that he was in a particular region. He was asking for prayer, not because of the government there, but because of splinter religious groups that physically assault Christians there. Colombia is number 37 on the most dangerous countries to be a Christian. So regularly, Christians today are imprisoned for their faith. Christians today are killed because they publicly profess that Jesus Christ is Lord and they encourage every man, woman, boy, and girl to trust in Jesus. Our brothers and sisters know the cost. They know what will happen if they are found out. But they know the call of the scriptures to tell the world of Jesus Christ. And so they take their lives into their hands to spread the glory of Jesus Christ. Let this be a point of examination for me and for all of us who live in a place where we can freely tell the good news, where we are commanded to share the good news, and yet we do not. Persecution doesn't always start this way. It doesn't always start with civil oppression, threats of death from the government. It actually begins in other ways. It doesn't go from zero to 100. It's much more like the frog boiling in a kettle. Social threats, economic threats, and physical threats all make it tempting to compromise with the world. In fact, that's the progression that persecution usually goes in. First, Christians get poorly treated socially. They get treated like pariahs. The world begins to exclude them, to ostracize them, to mock them. This is not a surprise to you. This is not uncommon in St. Tammany Parish. This is not uncommon anywhere in the West. Maybe Christians don't get included in things the way that they were before. Christian ideas don't get accepted as readily or heard as readily. So there's social pressure, social threats. But eventually economic persecution begins. Fines are imposed. There are economic benefits or privileges revoked. And that's where you start to see the civil government often getting involved directly in the persecuting. And eventually it moves on to physical threats, like imprisonment, separation of families, beatings, and even death. In some places in the world, like in Colombia, like I was talking about earlier, these physical threats come from extremist groups. In some, it comes from the local governance, the regional governance, or even the national government. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, 
they will also persecute you. So Christians have always been persecuted for following Jesus. They still are today. Why? Why does that happen? Well, for starters, the world is uncomfortable with people who live and think differently. This is just simple us versus them uh, thinking. Human beings tend to discriminate against people who are different from them. Look at what Jesus says in verse 19. Jesus knows us quite well. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus says, you're not a part of that society anymore. You're not a part of that system anymore. If you were, they would love you, but you're not. Therefore, they'll hate you. We are alien to the world. We love different things. We pursue different goals. Our lives are different, and and that puts us outside the club. But there's more to it than just that. The world is also uncomfortable with people who have become like Jesus in their works and their words. So it's not just this us versus them thinking. It's not just fear or repulsion because Christians are different. There's something more. The world does not like Jesus. They might think they do. They may have some idea of Jesus that they like, but they don't. In fact, Jesus tells us, he's going to show us here, that the world actually hates him. That may seem like a bold statement. Because there's a lot about Jesus that the unbelieving world finds attractive, but there's a reason they don't believe him, that they don't call him Lord. They find something in Jesus, something that he said, something that he did, something about his character. They find something about him that is just too much, a bridge too far. What is it? What is it that the world doesn't like? What is it about Jesus that the world hates? Well, there's a lot about Jesus that an unbeliever could find offensive. And you can find what's offensive about Jesus by looking at the things people try to deny about Jesus. What do they deny about him? That he's God. That he is Lord of every square inch of creation and every square inch of our lives. What do they deny? His truth. That what he said was true. What do they deny? His sinlessness. They deny the exclusivity of his claims. All of these things offend because he is not of the world. He said things that just don't compute in the world's way of thinking. He did things that blew people's minds and not necessarily in a way that drew them to him. And when people who don't believe, believe in Jesus... Maybe they pick and choose what parts of Jesus they're going to like. If you can get an unbeliever to look objectively at what Jesus said and what Jesus did and take it at face value, one of two things will happen. Please listen to me. This is all evangelism is. If you can get an unbeliever to just look at Jesus, listen to him and see what he did, one of two things will inevitably happen. They will start to hate him. And they may cover that up by picking and choosing what parts they'll take. Or they'll start to fall in love with him. Because we were made for Jesus. We were made to know Jesus and to behold Jesus. And to be taken with Jesus. So, 
If you have unbelieving friends who say they like Jesus, I love it when my unbelieving friends say they like Jesus. All that means is they haven't really attended to him. They're kind of picking and choosing what parts of Jesus to ignore or pay attention to. They may just be blowing smoke. The world as a collective hates Jesus. And individuals, if they're intellectually consistent and honest, they will either hate him too or they will leave the world. So when a friend tells me that, I I, I immediately thought, oh, really? You like Jesus. Tell me about, what do you like about Jesus? And then they tell me the things they like about Jesus. And then I say, I love Jesus. I think he's the best human being that ever walked the planet. I even believe he was right, that he was God. Uh, Would you read the gospel of John with me? And then you get them in there. I'm fine with any gospel, really. But then they have to look at and listen. The things Jesus said and the things Jesus did. And then the Holy Spirit takes the knife of his word. And he starts to do work on their hearts so that they become not lukewarm, but either hot or cold. When you leave the world behind out of love for Jesus, what becomes of you? You become more like Jesus. Your works and words become more like his as you love him and attend to him. And if you do that, if you're becoming more and more like Jesus because you're loving him and abiding with him and spending time with him, where's it going to lead you? Where did his life lead? To a cross. Look at verses 25 through 27 and verse 15. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me. Without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit, who inhabited him, will also inhabit believers. And to what ends? That we will bear witness to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will make our words and our works more like Jesus so that our life increasingly is a picture of the character of Jesus. And the world's going to hate that because they hate Jesus. Now, this is where as a pastor I remind myself and all of us that being persecuted for being a jerky Christian is not what we're talking about. Some Christians seem to think that persecution is something to look forward to, something to want. So they speak truth without wisdom or love. That's like wielding a sword without training, not caring who gets cut. If you're getting persecuted for that, that's not what we're talking about. But if you are being persecuted for humbly, lovingly, clearly speaking God's truth, that's what we're talking about, imitation of Jesus. But underneath it all... The world inevitably threatens Christians in these ways, social, economic, and physical, because they don't know or trust God. In fact, they hate him. So consider this. The people behind the death of Jesus, the ones who plotted and schemed for years to get him out of the picture, what were those people like? They were religious. They thought they were honoring God by having Jesus killed. And those same religious groups that were behind Jesus' death were behind the deaths of those same early disciples. Look at verses 21 through 25 again. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me 
hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. This statement of Jesus is so strong. If you don't realize how strong this is, you need to memorize it or chew on it for a while. I've been chewing on this text for over a month now. This, what Jesus says right there is, is radically shaping my view of the world I inhabit and the people that I love that are in the world. It's powerful. Jesus is speaking directly and primarily about the Jewish religious institution. This isn't anti-Semitism. No, he is exposing the reality of a Christless Judaism. And by uh, conclusion, we can derive from that any Christless religion. Any religion that rejects Jesus as Messiah doesn't just hate Jesus. They hate God the Father. They may think that they are innocent of sin. They may think they're being faithful to God, but Jesus says in no unclear terms that if they reject Jesus, they have rejected his Father. If they hate Jesus, they hate God the Father. The Jews in Jesus' day opposed him and oppressed the church, and they thought they were doing what was right. Likewise, the people in our world, religious and secular, who are persecuting the church, they think they're doing the right thing thing. Some of them even think they are honoring God in what they do, but they aren't. They hate Yahweh God. They hate Jesus. They hate God's message. They hate Jesus's way of life. And when you or I live in the way of Jesus, when we speak the message of Jesus, understandably, the world opposes it. And that is painful. Persecution is intended to stop Christian behavior and to stop Christian speech. Why? Nobody wants to be made fun of. Nobody wants to be socially excluded. Everybody wants to be in the club. Nobody wants to have to pay a fine. No one wants to get harassed for being a Christian or pay some tax because we shared the gospel. We don't want our faith to get ourselves and the people we love hurt or imprisoned or in trouble. That's the whole point. The world and its systems make it more difficult to be a Christian so that we compromise. And I don't think that there's some secret group, some Illuminati out there who's plotting, how do we get these Christians? I'm sure somebody's having that conversation. When I'm talking about the world, I'm talking about the invisible system that is under the power of the prince of the power of the air, under Satan himself, he is moving and working in the world to get Christians to shut up and to stop doing what Christ has called them to do. And when we look at our neighbors, we don't look at them as a part of the problem. Well, they're the world. They're the problem. No, they are enslaved like we were. And if Christ has bought them with, the, with his blood out of the world, that's why we go to our neighbors. We don't fear our neighbors. We're not suspicious of our neighbors. But we know the invisible realities behind the world that are trying to get us to be quiet and to stop being little Christs, Christians. That's why Christians compromise with the world. All this pressure 
You're feeling a little bit of it in 2024. Our brothers and sisters in Pakistan, North Korea, they're feeling it a lot more. What is compromise with the world then? Well, the ultimate compromise with the world is publicly rejecting Jesus as Lord. Just quitting, giving up. And this is the major concern, it seems, in this text. Jesus knows he's about to leave and go to the Father after his death and resurrection, that his disciples are going to be left here, and that the pressure will be on. And the pressure is to quit, to just walk away from following Jesus, because it's hard to follow Jesus. Jesus is trying to prepare them so that they don't bail on the whole thing. The theological word for falling away from Jesus is apostasy. And that's something that New Testament authors are very concerned about. You hear about it a lot in the New Testament. Now, the idea of apostasy raises all kinds of questions. Questions like, well, if a person professes faith in Jesus at one point and then rejects Jesus later, were they really a Christian before? People ask questions like, were they saved then and now they're unsaved now? These are good questions, not the point of this text. And I'm still hot. Y'all might be warm too. So, you know, we could go on for 30 more minutes about it if you want to, but I'd have to lose the robe. That's not the point of the text. What is the point of the text? Jesus is not explaining the ups and downs of apostasy. He's just trying to prevent it from happening. And I don't want you to walk out of here today fearing that you're on the precipice of falling away. Apostasy is a lot like committing adultery. I've never known a spouse who accidentally committed adultery. There are a lot of lines that get crossed, a lot of little compromises that happen before the big compromise. It's the same in our relationship with Jesus. We make smaller compromises before we come out and publicly reject Jesus as our Lord. So what are some of those smaller compromises? Well, before a person falls away, there's usually first a, a temptation to cultivate a lifestyle similar to the world and unlike Christ. It's usually the first, well, I mean, it's one of the compromises, I won't say first. And there's also a temptation to either stop speaking the gospel or to dilute its message. I don't know why there's an or there. I think I cut the, a third one just because it wasn't in this text. This is what the world's trying to stop through persecution. They're trying to stop us from doing what Jesus did. They're trying to stop us from saying what Jesus said. And that's where the temptation lies for us. It is costly to speak like Jesus. It's costly to act like Jesus. So we compromise. We accommodate to the world. We pull our punches where Jesus wouldn't. Or we act a little more like the world and a little less like Jesus to take some of the heat off of us. And it's a small accommodation that given time and repetition can lead us to outright apostasy. These temptations, these compromises of lifestyle and message, that usually comes first before outright rejection of Jesus. And this is where we can be tempted, like the churches of my youth, to start making rules. Well, how then can we make sure that our lifestyle is different? How do we make sure that we speak like Jesus? How do, how do we make sure we don't accidentally traipse into a spiritual disaster through our lives? We don't want to be unaware of how we might be compromising with the world. That's actually the point that Jesus is getting at in this text. And what he doesn't do is give his disciples a new law. Whereby if you do X, Y, and Z, you're setting yourself apart from the world. He doesn't even give a mantra, be in the world but not of the world. That's not in Scripture. If it was going to come from anywhere, it would be this text. 
But that's not the mantra that he gives. What does Jesus say? Look at chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. From falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus says when the pressure goes up, socially, economically, physically, remember. Remember what I told you. So to avoid compromise with the world, what should we do? We need to remember what Jesus taught his disciples. First, we need to remember what he taught us about what we have been called from. We have to remember that. Again, look back at verse 19. The thing he tells us to remember, verse 19, he says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore... The world hates you. Each of us needs to remember that we have been purchased out of the world. The world, its values, its systems, its kingdoms, they're on their way out. God has already promised their destruction upon Jesus' return. This era of human history between the resurrection and the second coming is all about inviting our neighbors to escape judgment. So remember what you've been called out from. God has saved you out of a world of darkness, despair, and nihilistic joylessness. He has saved you from a future of judgment under the wrath of God. Do you really want their lifestyle? Do you really want their way of thinking they hate God? Again, you might think it's nuts to say that. I mean, Jesus says it. The biggest reason that that, that people are not Christians is because they want to be in charge of their lives. They don't want God telling them, what to value, who to value, what to do. But we, we have been called out of a rebel's kingdom, a kingdom, note, that is at war within itself. So remember that. Remember what it used to be like when you were not a part uh, of, of Christ, when you were in the world. Remember what you have been called from. That'll help you to not compromise with the world. You you just won't find it attractive if you remember what you've been called from. So to avoid compromise with with the world, remember what you've been called from. You've been called out of the world. But also remember whom you have been called to. So it's not like you just moved out of one country into a new one, out of one kingdom into a a new one. You got a new citizenship. No, you have been adopted into the family of the Creator. He declares to know, he desires to know you. He desires to be known by you so much so that God himself has come to live in you. That's what Jesus tells us here in verse 26. Remember this when you feel the pressure of the world. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So God... God not only died for you, God not only daily washes your feet, as we talked about last week, he regularly reminds you of his love for you, God indwells you 
in order to make you the best version of you. This God who made you has a plan for your life, a plan filled with purpose and hope and joy. If we will see that and remember that, it'll help us not compromise with the world. Every time we compromise with the world, we're making ourselves less than what God intends for us to be. Every time we compromise with the world, we're seeking their love and their approval more than we're enjoying the love and approval that's already been bought for us in the cross. But when we are living out of a relationship with Jesus, it changes everything. To avoid compromise with the world, remember what we've been called out from and remember whom we've been called to. But finally, remember the word and works mission that we have been given. Look at verse 27. You also will bear witness, as the Holy Spirit does, because you have been with me from the beginning, he says to his disciples. The whole reason we get persecuted, did I click it already? Yeah. The whole reason we get persecuted is because of the things we do, things we say. If we truly believe Jesus, we're going to live like him, we're going to talk like him. And now we're back to our, the beginning of our sermon series, where we were talking about the catechism, which we've been memorizing in Sunday school. So, kids and grown-ups, let's see if we remember. Who made you? What else did God make? Why did God make you in all things? His own glory. You exist to glorify God, to shine with his character in the way that you live, in the way that you love, in the way that you speak. We want our lives to shine with the character and message of Jesus to everybody. And not just on Sunday morning, not just in special moments of ministry. No, we want Jesus' glory to shine in us in mundane moments as well as ministry moments. You exist You are here on this planet to show Jesus to others in everything you do and everything you say. So remember that. If you wake up every morning thinking, how can I show Jesus to every person I see today? And when there's no people around me, how can I show Jesus to the angels in the trees? If that is your mentality, that everything you do and everything you say is aimed at making much of Jesus, of magnifying his glory... You're dialed into this word and works mission. If you're doing that, I'm pretty confident you're not going to apostatize on that day. Will you compromise on that day? Probably. But if this is the value by which you live your life to glorify Jesus through your works and your words, I got a pretty strong feeling that when you do compromise, when you do sin, what are you going to do? Really quickly thereafter, you're going to repent and you're going to be fine. So to avoid compromise with the world, remember what you've been called out from. Remember who you've been called to and remember the mission that you've been given. You've been called out of the world into a close relationship with the triune God that you might live out his glory wherever you go and whatever you do. So respectfully, one failure, and I want to reiterate, I was not a Southern Baptist at first growing up. I love these folks across the street. One failure of the fundamentalism that I grew up with was this. Worldliness and the conversations about it were always a discussion about contrast. How can I be unlike the world? Which means, what are they like? And how can I be different? And that embodied itself in certain clothes, certain uh, politics, certain music, TV, and movies, certain externals. It was about looking different. That's the wrong approach. 
Many Christians, on the other hand, have, have reacted to that fundamentalism by not worrying about worldliness at all, and that's too far. Jesus has another way. Remember. Remember what you've been called out from. Remember who you've been called to, and remember the mission you've been given. You've been called out of one world and society into another one. You've been called into a relationship with a loving, just, holy God. You've been called into a whole new way of living, loving, thinking, acting, speaking. You've been called to live in the footsteps, in the way of Jesus. And if we remember him, if we attend to him, to the things that he loves, to the things that he says, to the things that he does, what's going to happen? You're going to look different from the world but maybe not in the ways that people might expect. They're going to see Jesus in you, and they're either going to love, hate, or be very confused about what they see. Let's pray. Holy God, I pray for these men, women, boys, and girls that they would so love Jesus (laughs) that fearing the world wouldn't be anywhere on the table because you and your glory are the reason we exist. That's why we get up in the morning. May we all be motivated by that. And Lord, if there's anyone here who has not yet seen the glory of Jesus and beheld him and fallen in love with him, Holy Spirit, reveal Christ in your word and through these Christians so that they might see Jesus and trust him. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.